This week on A Lively Experiment, the state provides more details about its takeover of the Providence school system. And one councilwoman's comments about vandalism and civil disobedience raise eyebrows nationwide. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us this week, Boston Globe reporter Dan McGowan, former state representative Patricia Morgan, and Scott McKay, political analyst for the Public's Radio. Welcome, everybody. I'm Jim Hummel. The long-awaited state takeover of the Providence school system is just weeks away. New details emerged this week about scope and duration, and that a new superintendent is poised to arrive next month. But not everyone is on board with what now looks to be at least a five-year takeover of the st uh, state control. Dan, let's begin with you. You've been following Providence for a long time. Um, nobody's expecting transformation overnight, but once they get in there November 1st, what, what can we look for? Yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. The challenge that they're going to have is that they've talked so much about for the last several months, takeover, takeover, takeover. We've all known this was going to happen, but they haven't actually done anything yet, right? They're going to spend the rest of this school year, I think, um, actually trying to plan out what they're going to do. Remember, the teacher's contract expires at the end of this school year. So, you know, people think, okay, are they going to blow up the contract? More likely, they're going to try to negotiate first and then figure that out. So I think this is a bit of a planning year. You'll start to see some uh, potential significant changes next year. Maybe you start to hear a little bit more about charters schools. Um, I think there's going to be a conversation about wanting to extend the school day. Kind of all the things that we hear about when it comes to, uh, in, you know, trying to improve outcomes. But uh, this is a, it's a long road. If you think this is going to take five years, it's not. It's going to be longer than that. Do they have the power to blow up the contract or not? Or is that murky? The, it's murky. They don't know. Uh, I think they're really liking the idea that they wouldn't even have to because they can go and negotiate a new contract. And, you know, you have more flexibility when you're out of a contract contract as opposed to in the middle of one. So I think they'd much rather just kind of figure it out from there. Uh, they do believe they have uh, uh, deep powers to make real changes, but uh, you know, it's, 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 it's one thing to say you have it. It's another thing to actually get it through. Uh, there has to be a sense of urgency, and that's not what I'm seeing. I mean, uh, I think the, uh, uh, is it on, 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 Angelica Infante Angelica Green. Infante Green, okay. I think she says all the right things. I think she means well. I think she's got the knowledge. But there's no sense of urgency from all the players out there. These are real children's lives. And to say that it's going to take longer than five years, really, as soon as she gets in there, she has to make those changes. And they have to be dramatic changes, and they have to be made immediately. And then institutionalizing them will take time. But the changes have to be made with some sense of urgency that children are, are, are still going to school every day. Mm. They're not waiting five years. Sorry. They are moving through. And, and a diploma has to be more than a certificate of participation. I think you have to look at the Massachusetts uh, model and realize that it is going to take a long time. And certainly, if you look at what happened there, they stuck with a plan years and years and they stuck with the money and a really good example would be taking a look at what happened after the recession 
You had Don Kachiri here saying you're not going to raise taxes, and I understand why you don't want to raise taxes during a recession. However, the way he balanced the budget was by cutting education. And in Massachusetts, Deval Patrick said, I'm not going to do that. We've got this thing running. He decided to raise the sales tax by a percentage point, which he did. Hasn't seemed to hurt the Massachusetts economy in the long run. And what happened there was they put that money into the schools, and he also stood up to the stakeholders, to the unions, and the state stayed on the same course. Now, they haven't solved all their problems in Massachusetts. They love to tout these great test scores, but there's still a yawning gap between the achievement levels, and Dan has reported on this, uh, between the achievement levels of low-income folks and minority folks and students from wealthier backgrounds. And this is a national, national problem. You know, I don't think money is the problem. I think actually we we, we fund pretty well. The the pure pu per pupil cost in Rhode Island is significant, but what we haven't had is political will. Um, and and we all know there is politics in everything in Rhode Island, um, and the unions have worked tirelessly to undermine real school reform, and we can't allow that. Right? I, I'm, I was a teacher. I'm not against teachers, right? I, but I am more for children. Um, and I know there are teachers that, uh, that are being restrained from doing their, their best job by all the union rules and the practices. No one wants to go to school and be ostracized. But so, so, so we don't get the school reform. It's not robust and it's not followed through on. Um, Deborah Gist came with some good ideas and she was just run out of town. Well, she's done a great job down in Oklahoma, right? We could have had that same leadership here for the last four years, and we haven't. Although I will say, Deborah Gist has changed her tune a great, great deal in Oklahoma. Yes. She's the kind of the pro-teacher person now. She stood. She was one of the people leading the strike to uh, to get teachers paid more and things like that. To your point, though, look, you're exactly right about this, Patricia. If you have an student, let's say, if you have a, a kid in the eighth grade and we're talking about five years, are we talking about potentially throwing high school out the window <laughs> yeah, exactly. for those kids? So, so of course that's, that's insane and that's not what they, uh, that's not exactly what they're saying, but this is going to take a, some time to, to plan. I think you will see, uh, my gut is you're going to see more charter schools here. And remember, it if, if you want good charters to come here, you have to take time, you have to plan, they need money and buildings and all that kind of stuff to actually make it happen. I think the next couple of months will really tell us what the the real goals are for the next four have you heard years. And if there's a political will to get That's it done. Exactly have right. you heard anything exactly about right. the short term, the discipline, you know, everybody was talking about the cell phones and the teachers getting choked and all that. Have you heard anything that that settled down or are those problems continuing to bubble up? This is one of those classic things where when folks are want to kind of deflect from some of the real challenges, low test scores, things like that, you start to hear about, you know, oh, kids can't possibly learn in this terrible building, or it's really violent, things like that. Look, those are real issues. There's no question about it. But I think they've gotten off to a, a pretty good start. The school year in Providence, the, the buildings are looking fine. You haven't heard about massive attacks on teachers or students. Um, and so I think they've been able to address it just by simply maybe focusing a little bit more. You want the last word on that? Uh, a couple things here. First of all, I think with the charter issue, there's got to be some kind of state policy. What are the role of charters? And also the way they're financed. And I think uh, Dan's written a lot about this, I know. And certainly you were in the legislature leader, Morgan, so you understand what I'm saying. 
is that there's got to be a way to figure this out so the charters aren't draining money from traditional school districts. The first thing. The second thing is there are some union rules, I'm sure, in those contracts that are bad, but I'd like to remind Leader Morgan that Massachusetts, all their teachers belong to the same unions as Rhode Island's. And they're all wall-to-wall union. And so whatever they've done up there, they haven't busted the unions and they have these great scores. Uh, No one's talking about busting the unions, but it really is about getting behind teachers and giving them the tools and the freedom to do what they need to do to teach these children. Um, And and that's important. Uh, Too often our politicians pay attention to union leaders and not to teachers. All right, Uh, we stay in Providence. Uh, There was actually making national news, Providence City Councilwoman Kat Kerwin in a radio interview with Jean Valiceni said that she was actually advocating for or had no problem with the vandalism of the Columbus statue in South Providence. This has been an ongoing thing. It gets vandalized every couple of years. The mayor says maybe we should move it to Federal Hill. Dan, let me stay with you because you know the, the dynamic of this council. Kat Kerwin is one who, of many who came in on the progressive side. Right. I, I don't know whether she feels maybe she needs to walk back those comments, but her point was civil disobedience, but this, this went over pretty poorly. Yeah, I mean, look, she. this is a progressive who came in without an election. She was able to kind of get in there based on a Councilman Hassett didn't run, and so she was able to kind and of... And now he's thinking of running again. That's right. Well, everyone's thinking of running in this case, right? right. You know, I, there, she is what she is, right? She's a progressive that's going to, you know, this is usually these issues with the Columbus statue stem from, you know, progressive-minded folks, students at Brown that want to make this an issue. It's a, it's a difficult spot. Look, it's insane to be advocating for, you know, for any sort of vandalism. Certainly in her neighborhood, she wouldn't want kids spray painting the school or spray painting Patrick's Pub or something like that, right? But she, the, the, at, the, at the same time, you know, her point, you know, I think it does resonate with a lot of the folks that support her. That's a changing district over there. I think folks probably don't feel as sort of closely aligned to Columbus and to sort of the Italian heritage. Um, but again, this probably went a little bit far. My guess is she's not going to apologize. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> you know, there's a process to change something in your neighborhood. If you want to take down a statue, there's a process to do it. And I think it's, it's uh, kind of insulting that a small group of people think they have the best idea and they are going to impose it on everybody else in that neighborhood. And for a council person to say, yep, I agree with you, so I am going to support you in criminal behavior. It's outrageous. Yeah, and I think she's on the city property committee or something <laughs> ironic or, or public works. What yeah, do you look, think, you're an elected official. You can't be out there promoting <laughs> vandalism. Now, you could set up some kind of a seminar, bring people from the indigenous community, from Brown, all the historians, bring people together and have a conference about this, how we should treat uh, this issue going forward, perhaps move this to a museum. We've seen this in the South with some of the Confederate Civil statues. War things. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that big a deal. But nonetheless, I just don't understand, given when you're an elected official and you have City Hall and you can call a meeting in the Alderman's Chamber, call a community meeting, that you would actually support vandalism. It just, it just doesn't make sense. You know, that neighborhood at some point had, had a collective... Uh, agreement that that statue would go there. 
There's a lot of people who like that statue. We have a tiny group of folks who don't like it and have decided that their will needs to be imposed on everyone else. There is a process. The process is working within a system of legality, not illegal illegality. I mean, we just a few years ago made graffiti a, a felony. Right. Right? If these people are so proud and they think that everybody in their neighborhood is supporting the removal of this statue, why don't they do their vandalism right out there in the open right. so everybody sees them doing it? Might be problematic. Well, and here's the, the, this is the classic danger of social media, right? How does this start? We see the news reports that, that there's paint on the statue. The councilwoman decides to take to Twitter and say, I support these people. Radio picks it up. She does a radio interview. It all stems from your willingness to go. It, it, 15, 20 years ago, the thing that you could have possibly done would have maybe give a speech on the council floor to mm -hmm. say that you support people. Yeah, now Wouldn't it goes have, viral. Now it goes viral everywhere, and it's a national kind of embarrassment. All right, we'll see what happens. Speaker Mattiello has been in the news uh, probably unintendedly the last couple of weeks. We spoke about this last week about the grand jury uh, gathering to look at some of the goings-on with his 2016 election. Now we hear uh, there's some state house ties to a growing hemp business, including, uh, Patricia, a... A uh, top aide, the, the speaker's tried to distance, distance himself a little bit, but there's a lot swirling around him now. So, I'm, you know, you've been in that chamber a long time. You know the speaker. You know, I wonder what you think about he's this. He's trying to distance himself <laughs> now, but he's had his arms around him real tight for the last, last well, couple of years. This kid's had a meteoric he, rise, has he not? He absolutely has. I mean, he worked on a campaign um, got in the state house at 40 grand and now he's making 90 and he owns a, a, a hemp company. Um, <laughs> he's living the Rhode Island dream. He, he's living, that's right. Um, you know, you, you do it, you, you make it because you're smart and, and bright and all that and you work hard. Uh, nothing happens in that building without the speaker's approval, nothing. And um, the fact that there was, that the, that the legislature has taken over now the hemp business they want final approval on everything makes me think that there is a real ethical challenge going on there and isn't that usually shouldn't that be in the administration's domain rather than the legislature or is it set up yeah I mean I think he's walking it back oh no we're gonna let we're gonna let the governor promulgate the regulations but they want final say over every regulation which means that he wants to keep a throttle on it and he wants to make sure that he maintains power over this brand new business entity uh, or, or, or industry, um, it is, right, we've talked for a long time about the culture of corruption and how it hurts Rhode Island. And it, it splashes over everything. I, I know you don't want to talk about IGT, but, but it is there. Oh, that's next on the list. <laughs> okay. It is those insider deals and the fact that everybody sees it, and not just in Rhode Island, they see it outside of Rhode Island, and they don't want to come here. Yeah, I think that the speaker's people should have been a lot more careful. Once you're getting a state salary and you're getting a living, a pretty good one apparently for a young person, from the state, you're working at the state house or you're working in one of the agencies, you probably shouldn't be mixing your personal business uh, in some kind of a financial arrangement or a company that relies on state sanction and state regulation. That would just be a prudent way to operate. And yeah, I'm but you wonder, so when you think about that, and we're a little bit older than this young man, but when you think about that, and Matty Ellis said he didn't know, whether we take him at his word, you would disagree with that, you wonder whether he doesn't think that's a problem or knows it's a problem but thinks I have cover from the speaker. 
right? Well, either way, it's it does it's not a good look. No, it's a bad look. And, and the fact is that if you have that kind of a job, a lot of people work in state, uh, you know, service for a few years. I mean, every lawyer in the state, let's face it, good private lawyers, started as either a public defender or a prosecutor in the AG's office. It's fine if you want to, you know, learn something, get into state government, get your feet wet, do some things, and then leave and go to work for some private entity. That's one thing, but I don't think you should be, you know, playing any kind of role behind the scenes and just the perception of it. Even if this guy was Caesar's wife, I mean, <laughs> you look at the perception of this and here's a guy on the state payroll, on the speaker's payroll, and he's got his hands dipped in something outside, uh, outside business that requires state regulation. There's just something, there's yeah, just a line I, there that shouldn't be crossed. I mean, Scott's right here. The You can't have your side hustle, right, be yeah. the be some major, you know, kind of major issue that government is really debating. And, and let's make no mistake about it, folks. There are a lot of supporters of the speaker and in this kind of crowd that is going to say, are going to say, well, you're allowed to do what you're, you know, what you want outside of government. This is This is one of those situations where at the very least, it looks terrible, and at the worst, it could be, you know, far more significant than that. And the, the other person who's kind of uh, weaving through this with both the grand jury investigation, and this is Matt Jerzyk, who was on the payroll for, for a long time. He was the, I think he was Joe Sakarchi's legal Just counsel. That. He's in city solicitor. So you see his name popping up as an operative. So again, it, you, it, probably not a surprise that you yeah, see Yeah, how this, did right? this brand new industry become consumed by all insiders at the state house. Tell me, right? Because they were writing the rules. And right? and is it illegal? Perhaps not, but is it unethical? Probably. Right. Yeah, Jurassic at least is is he's a lobbyist now. He's out of government. Uh, so I think he has a little bit different issue than Pilkington. Pilkington to me is more problematic because he still is again collecting a state paycheck. And, and I just I just wonder is are, are you just kicking yourself for not jumping into that business? <laughs> yeah, you missed the boat. You thought you were okay yeah, to be in the a financial friend of a friend, right? uh, Patricia, let me stay with you. You did mention IGT. I think this is the first time we've had you on the show since this whole contract. And I'm curious, you sat in that chamber, you've looked at it from outside. Uh, what are your thoughts going through? We've talked on this show about how this may be a good contract, but the rollout, and again, and you sat in that chamber during the truck tolls rollout at the end of the session, kind of getting dumped on it. What's your 30,000-foot view on this? It may be a good contract, but is there a better one? Is there a one that is really better for the for hardworking Rhode Islanders out, out there? Are we leaving money on the table, Right. That, that we should be collecting instead of IGT getting. I think IGT is probably a great company. There are other great companies out there. Let there be a competitive bid. And having a 20-year contract, it just should be just a non-starter. It should be seven, eight years. You know, when you have a long contract like that, you, you don't have to perform because you know you've got the contract. So you're not giving your best service. You're not giving your best machines. You're not doing all the things because, hey, we got the contract for 20 years. Um, and, and the idea that we're, we're even negotiating it three years early, what's that? Does Gina think she's leaving or something? She's got to make sure she passes it off to her, to her friends first. Again, we just talked about this insider thing. People out there are losing faith in government. 
and they should be when they see deals like this going down. It's kind of like there's rules, but then there's insider rules. And the insider rules are so much more lucrative and easier for them. And we know the lobbyists are making a pretty good paycheck, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> lobbyists are doing quite well. Yeah, I mean, I think this is classic uh, in an off-year election and in, in, in really out of session. I think everybody's kind of cashing in here, so they're feeling pretty good about it. But keep in mind, one of the, the, the challenges, I think everybody wanted to get this done in this session because you didn't want to go into a legislative le uh, session in an election year where you're going to have this over you. Now, you 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 know, the more... The more you go on, the more you get into, you know better than anyone, April and May, and you're still kind of having this conversation, uh, the more, the less likely it looks like they're, they're going to, you know, vote on it without going to bid or, or vote on it at all, right? It's still three years early, right. though. They don't have right. to do it well, this as year. As the words the governor said, the, the chairman comes and says, we want to renew it, otherwise we're going to pull the jobs. But you're right, it doesn't expire until 2023. Yeah, I'm see this and the hospitals as almost the smallest state biggest egos problem i mean this is ridiculous here are two good companies they're good corporate neighbors they employ an awful lot of rhode Islanders, and they've had a lot of crossover between the companies yes right? they have uh, you know and, and all of a sudden uh these people are just beating each other up at the state house now the governor because of the ethics thing she can't really do this but i'm reminded of how Bruce Sumlin got the airport built or how Link Allman got the fidelity done. I think it's about time that Mattiello and Ruggiero sat these people in a room and just said, okay, you know, it's almost wish Joe Walsh or somebody smart was involved in this and said, all right, can you live with 15 years, IGT? Can you live with 12 years? Can you live with 10 years? What's your problem, Twin River? Twin River's problem is right now the Massachusetts casinos are hurting them. Their table game right. revenues are down. The Globe had yet another story this week that even the glitzy new encore is not, not doing that well. They're not meeting expectations. Yeah, the CEO's out. Right? <laughs> You're yeah, not doing well enough. Right? And Springfield, MGM, the same way. I think we've oversaturated the gambling business in, in sure. New England, but I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Don't, I'm not an economist. But you sit these people down and say, okay, give Twin Rivers, say, a 4 or 5% break in their table games taxes. Mm -hmm. So we get a compromise that both sides can, they won't like, but they can live with and fight again another day. That means we don't lose the IGT jobs. Uh, Twin River can keep doing what they're doing. And you can write, as Leader Morgan says, you can write into that contract performance incentives and regulations that you have to do uh, for both sides to ensure that the machines that IGT provides are state-of-the-art in that industry, and there's ways to deal with it. And we could take all this lobbyist money, and it'd be great because Twin River could use what they're paying lobbyists to buy some ads, right. not beating up IGT, <laughs> but trying to lure Change people. the carpet. Right? Trying to lure people to their casinos. Well, this has become, I mean, this has become sort of a goofy political campaign. I mean, right. that, that truly, the only people really benefiting are the lobbyists, right? And yeah. and. By all counts, the the media organizations that are getting advertising, mine included, um, but there's no. This is a, a just lobbing bombs back and forth, not actually productively negotiating no, anything. It's, it's unseemly, become, yeah, to have these two companies. It's like the hospitals. And you're right. It's just like the hospitals. That's exactly I mean, crazy. I think it shows you just how much money is at stake. Yeah, right. Sure. That uh, I mean, the million in lobbyists is just a pittance compared to pittance getting the contract. Next to what this is worth. <laughs> to each of these companies, and maybe there's a third or a fourth company out there, right, who would come. I, I still think it has to be an open, competitive bid. Um, not getting 
the two players that we know in the room, but really soliciting bids from all of those out there that might want to come to Rhode Island but then you have and the give us a good deal. But then you have the problem, and your successor, Blake Filippi, said, look, I'm not a gaming technology expert. I heard Dennis Algier also did an interview this week. So, I mean, we're, we're all a little bit experts in everything. Getting, how, do you, how do you weed through that? If you were sitting on the House floor right now and they brought all of this to you, it's, it's very complex as to what, you know, all well, the and I think that components. that's why it's so nice of um, uh, Mr. Hassenfeld to say, listen, I'll, I'll fund a study for you. I'll help, right? Because this is important to Rhode Island. It is. Last I checked, the legislative budget was $50 million. Do you think they can't squeeze out a little bit for a study? <laughs> uh, you know, there's a chronic uh, deficit every year, so probably Stunning. not. It's because you got a lot of it's, people on the payroll. Well, well, IGT yeah. can leave the state. They can be anywhere. Sure. Um, we know that there are no borders when it comes to technology. Uh, Twin River can't. And I think they run the casinos, and unless they want to sell out, I mean, they're here. Uh, they have to be here. So I think you have to understand that, and I think you have to work in a situation where they're more transparent. And I think the more transparent things are, the more people accept it. Statehouse insiders will tell you that this is not like abortion or the tolls. Uh, they're not getting an awful lot of public feedback. I think a lot of people in the public just see this is two greedy corporations beating each other up, and there's not like demonstrations outside the state house saying IGT or right. Twin River. All right, unless you're a lobbyist. Uh, all right, I got to hold you. We, I don't want to short you on outrageous. Patricia, let's start with you this week. Do you have an outrage or a kudo for us? I want to do a kudo. Oh, let's go. All right, um, Ken Block. Uh, he filed a complaint with the, our, our attorney general and the U.S. district attorney about what appears to be kind of strong arming or intimidation by Warwick officials. Uh, you know, he's, he's a, he really is a watchdog and he uh, does his homework. He's been looking at the contracts in Warwick and their financial condition and he, f he has found some real irregularities and he reported on them. And then lo and behold, inspectors started showing up at, at his uh, place of business, uh, tax assessors, um, right? This is what's, we talk about a culture of corruption and we can't allow that to happen in Rhode Island because it hurts all of our ability to have a good life here in Rhode Island. So kudos to him for taking this on. Dan, what do you have? I want to go back to schools for a second. Next week, the state is going to release its the uh, RICAS test results. And here's the, the strange thing. Massachusetts, same test, released this, these results in September. Students take these tests in the spring. I get it. Tests are one really good way to measure outcomes, things like that. But we can't push this into October, November, it's not actually benefiting students when you push it along that, right. that far. So get going. You have the last minute. Yeah, good the time. last minute? Well, I think uh, Donald Trump, and I don't know about the impeachment, but I think it's pretty ridiculous when you have a G7 conference that you're going to have at your own failing hotel and resort in Florida. Now, if that's not stuffing your own pocket, then I don't know what is. The taxpayers pay for Camp David. It's a great place. Uh, other presidents, Reagan, Carter, Obama, both Bushes, have big meetings at Camp David, and I don't see why we're having uh, the president's private hotel being the site 
of an international conference. It makes no sense to me, except that he's trying to grab a few bucks. All right. The failing uh, Doral rather than the failing New York Times. Is that what it is? <laughs> all right. Folks, that is all the time we have. Thank you for joining us this week. Dan and Patricia and Scott, thank you. And if you don't catch us on Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, any number of ways on social media, we have a Facebook page. You can go to YouTube and check out our uh, broadcast and your podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, take us along with you. Hope you have a great week and hope you can join us back here next week as a lively experiment continues. Have a great week, everybody. experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders I'm John Hazen White jr. and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS